Hey, welcome to the Juice Bar Experts podcast, where we are going to give you tips, tools, strategies for launching a new juice bar or scaling and increasing the profitability and efficiency in your existing juice bar. I'm your host, Andrew McFarlane. For the last 10 years, I've been in the juice bar business, running my own juice bars, as well as helping hundreds of entrepreneurs all around the world launch successful juice businesses. So without further ado, let's get into it. We're actually going to be interviewing someone in the community, actually a former client of ours, uh, Tom, the founder of Virtue Juice Bar. And uh, they have a really interesting and unique approach and they've been doing some exciting things. And so I'm excited to have this conversation and just expose you guys in the community to another person's experience, as well as a variation of ways that you guys can approach your business development. So how are you doing today, Tom? Doing pretty good. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Um, so to start, I don't know if you feel uh, inspired, but I would love for you to share with the audience a little bit about kind of your inspiration to get started, a little bit about your journey in developing your business and kind of how things look in your company in the present day. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So, you know, it's... um. It's been a journey now for probably a little more than a little more than three years. Um, but if you think about kind of the backstory, the backstory goes quite a bit deeper. And um, essentially, we moved in this town. I live in the city of Vacaville, which is right between San Francisco and Sacramento. So um, it's at the junction towards uh, heading north into Oregon. And um, we moved here really to get closer to my wife's family. She's originally from this town of Vacaville. It's got about a hundred thousand people in this town and there's a large military base here. And, um, she's a, she's a daughter of, uh, um, you know, former air force, um, former air force now retired. So we moved into this town to get closer to her family and it was related to her health because she's been suffering from MS. And so multiple sclerosis since, um, gosh, it goes back to 1998 and we've been married for 25 years. So it's probably a good, what, 23, 23 years now. And so, um, really, um, it wasn't as challenging as it's been in the last five years or so. And so we decided to move here a few years ago and, and really moving here, we, um, we realized just how much fast food is in the area. This this area here is, is just a, it's just a plethora of, of fast food and there really weren't too many healthy options. And so um, a little bit of a frustration, you know, just kind of moving into an area and, and, and kind of managing through that. And, and we had been eating healthier and trying to, to eat healthy, you know, just for her condition. Um, and, and mine too. I mean, nowadays it seems like more than ever, people are really starting to think more about their health. And so um, I was working a corporate job. I've been in corporate America, you know, for 30 years now. And I think we just got to a point where we started thinking, what, what else is out there and what could we do? And, and it was really kind of this moment where um, my wife, her name is Michelle. So Michelle was here with her sister and they were on hold 
with the there's a market here in town they've got a juice bar and they were waiting on hold forever just to get an order through and it was an order for juice and bowls and it was for all of us and this was kind of like a routine thing where they would just wait and wait and you know you'd get there there'd be a line and and so my sister-in-law just happened to blurt out you know what this town do you know what this town needs it's a juice bar like someone to compete against this market and so like right at that moment we had this kind of inspiration that that was you know potentially um our our play our next move did you do you find that you were kind of the person that always felt like you wanted to be an entrepreneur or were you almost as a byproduct of feeling like I need to start this juice bar, you became an entrepreneur? You know, it's such a good question. I, you know, looking back, I've always had the inspiration to do something on my own, but, you know, there's a big difference in actually pulling the trigger and doing it. And so, you know, looking back at my life, I would, I would think about, you know, whether it's a possible product, you know, it's kind of like that whole shark tank, um, you know, do you have that right idea? And right. is now the time. And for whatever reason, you know, I don't think I'm a, a huge risk taker. Um, right. And so I kind of always just maintained that status quo. And, you know, it's not that that was a bad thing. Um, I've always been, you know, motivated by the work I do and, you know, the goals that are, that I set. And so achieving goals is really something that, you know, it's, it's really meaningful for me. I'm a competitive person. So mm -hmm. I think, I think it was always there kind of deep, you know, deep inside kind of lurking. That's something that I wanted to do. And so, you know, you start thinking about that. You only live once type of feeling and right. is now the time. And I think it was that combined with the need and the opportunity. And that's really what, um, you know, made it happen. I think that's so interesting because I, I always ask myself, what is it inside of people who are similar to you and, and myself that have this entrepreneurial disposition in, you know, in a greater or lesser degree, but finally make the decision to start a business? Because a lot of times you can see, and I talk to a lot of people too in the audience who are listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube videos and they're doing it for years. You know, I'll talk to somebody and say, Oh, I've been listening to your content for five years. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now is the time that I'm going to make this decision to move forward. And I'm always curious as to, you know, just something just, just, you know, click. Is it, is it the perspective that you only live once? Is it realizing when there is a golden opportunity in front of you that time is of the essence and you can't, um, you know, kind of wait in the lobby of life for too long uh, that's something that I always, I always think about. Um, okay. So, so fast forward to you're in a place where you make the decision, you realize that your market is in need of a, a competitor to this, uh, grocery store or other market. And you say, okay, I'm going to move forward. So what happens next? Yeah. So at that point, um, we started thinking that maybe a franchise could be the right thing for us because I've never like frankly been in the, in the restaurant business. And so, um, you know, I frequent juice bars. I'm a fan. Um, I'm, I'm one that can just pull in a lot of information on what I like and kind of what feels right. And so I just simply started looking at different franchise models and 
-hmm. I looked at probably five or six of them. And, you know, I think it was the best thing ever. I think, you know, to the audience, one thing that, that really helped me was just being able to talk with them and learn from them and ask questions. And, you know, they, they, by law, they have to send out their prospectus to anyone who's interested and who essentially qualifies. And so getting their information is super helpful as well. So you start to see, Mm -hmm. you know, financials and, and these are really large documents. And so that was super helpful. Um, But ultimately after really kind of, spending probably a year or almost a year in doing that sort of research, we came to the conclusion after getting pretty close, you know, to signing on the dotted line, we came to the conclusion that, yeah, we're just not ready. And there was something that was tugging at us thinking that, that, um, you know, it just wasn't right. And so Anyway, long story short, we we backed away for a few months, and during that time, it was our business attorney who who um, suggested, you know, how about if you think about doing something on your own? And so that was another that was another turning point. Right? Was it was there something in particular with the franchise? Was it financial? Was it kind of the restrictions? Was it the fact that it wasn't really a res- uh, reflection of something that? Uh, expressed your unique values. Um, what was it that made you feel like moving towards your own brand was more attractive than buying into a franchise? Yeah. So for each for each one of the franchises, there seemed to be one thing that just would stand out that just wasn't really kind of in line with with kind of my thoughts and and you know I had this feeling like if we're going to do this, you know, having the control about going the direction and taking the path that we want to go down would be, you know, really valuable. And, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not having that, that franchise um, over us and really dictating what we were supposed to be doing and not doing. And I don't know, I think it was that freedom. And um, it finally just caught up to me that, that, um, that maybe it was better just to take a pause and just reflect and, and that's what we did. And, and, you know, the front, the one franchise that, that we were really talking to, we, we got pretty far with, um, just in the negotiations, we were starting to realize just, you know, how limited, um, you know, the flexibility is. And so that was, yeah. that was really a point where we started to rethink it and we back kind of backed down on that plan and, and took a pause. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of times people don't realize, and obviously you being someone who's gone deep down that rabbit hole, uh, many people don't realize the kinds of terms, you know, uh, in the fine print that are involved in the franchise agreements. And and it's obviously different for every company, but we've had people who are in franchises even reach out to us and say, hey, I can't get my food costs down, but my franchise agreement doesn't really allow me to buy from vendors that are not approved by the franchising company. And that's kind of tied my hands together in being able to actually save money and make money and be profitable. So um, I think it's, I think, you know, just from my personal perspective, knowing what I know, I think it was wise ultimately for you to start your own concept. So um, from there, you decided to take a pause and then when did you pick back up and, and how did you start actually, you know, putting some time and energy and resources to, to launching the business. Yeah, it was probably, you know, a couple months later. Um, I think we just took this pause and, 
you know, you go through this time where you're just reflecting on all the work you put in over the last year and what you've learned. And, and, you know, I think we grew during that time frame, but it was really, um, it was really our business, um, and real estate attorney who kind of gave us that, that, uh, that idea, you know, she'd check in with us from time to time. And, and, you know, when she mentioned it, we just thought about, you know, really not having the experience and, you know, we had a lot of information, but not having ever done it before, um, you know, made us kind of feel like we we're really putting ourselves out there. And so, um, the one thing I, I think I stepped into next was really starting to put some plans together and just kind of formulating this business plan on paper. And I was just trying to like, kind of wrap my mind around what it would be like, like, what could it be like? And so, and, and that's kind of this very, um, you know, like this, this framework started to come together. And throughout that is when I'm sure it was during that time when I came across probably one or two or 10 of your videos uh, online, probably YouTube. And I just got pulled in. I got to tell you, I, the videos were super helpful. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. I feel like it's, um, it's, I, I often talk about how when I was starting my business, I know that feeling so well, right? Like just being extremely inspired to start a business and especially a business that's going to help people, but simultaneously being terrified and overwhelmed by all the things you don't know. Um, and especially in an industry that is, you know, in a, in a new way, because I think that there's always, always been juice bars around, but yeah. in this new paradigm, having juice bars that are really catering to the health conscious consumer. Um, it was just, you know, in the cold pressing, it was just, uh, yeah, it was scary. And I think looking back at all the money that I wasted and all the mistakes that I made and all the times that I didn't sleep, uh, it's that was one of my big inspirations for starting to create content for other people to give them that perspective. So glad that it was valuable. Yeah, no, super valuable. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of what that's what jump started it. And, you know, my attitude was you know, if we go down the path of the franchise, you pay the franchise fees and essentially they train you, give you this binder and you've got everything kind of already detailed. They've already gone through everything. And I started thinking about, you know, investing in, in yourself and start a juice bar. And I started thinking, well, you know, you're kind of that same, you're, you know, you offer that same sort of thing um, mm -hmm. outside of the franchise world. And so I was trying to equate just in my mind, you know, my investment in the franchise world versus investing with you and, and what we could do together, you and I. So that was how I ended up um, eventually just, you know, picking up the phone and calling. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people really get into franchises for one of two reasons. One of them is the brand recognition, right? And the other one is the systems that exist and the systems ultimately that make these businesses work are all the same. It's like, you know, you build a car, it's got to have wheels and a steering wheel for now, right? Until these self-driving cars come out. But at this moment, there's just, uh, I see these principles and kind of laws that make these businesses work, um, which, you know, you figure out if you've done it enough. And uh, in terms of building a brand, which, you know, I commend you guys because you guys have done such a great job and continue to do a great job in developing your brand. Um, but people will find that trust and loyalty if you can 
do that well and in a way that um, can speak to them and that they relate to. And so I feel like uh, a lot of the value that you probably would have been receiving, um, you were able to kind of create on your own anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that took, you know, that took some time. I mean, that was a lot of energy, a lot of deep, you know, critical thinking about what does that brand look like and what does it feel like and, and how does it come together? But I think you're right. I think, I think getting there was so, so important and so valuable at the same time. And, you know, I think for anyone out there that's looking to do something like this, putting that energy up front about just, you know, just what they're dreaming up. I mean, even putting those thoughts on paper and, and, um, and thinking about naming, you know, your company early on, because the original name we came up with actually had been taken by another another company back East. And, you know, we just wanted to do the right thing and not step on their toes. Um, So we scrapped everything and started over with the whole branding effort, but I'm so glad we did. Yeah, definitely. So, so you decided, you know, we got connected and we got to start, you know, working together. Uh, How long was the process? And, you know, in the process, what were some things that maybe either surprised you or kind of, um, you might feel are valuable to share with other people that they can look out for that you experienced that you did not expect. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I think the one thing that you helped me realize probably more than anything was how much I needed to do on my own. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about hiring someone and getting help like you offer. And I think the one thing that I valued, just with your approach more than anything was that you are really kind of this mentor and you're not there to do it all. It's not like you had the forms and here it is and let's go. It was more about, I want you to learn. And I took that to heart. And I think right now, you know, having, I mean, we're right in the thick of things obviously, but, um, but going through our menu costing and, and really understanding kind of how to go about that has been so Mm. critically important. And, you know, even after, you know, your training, I think, I think you fall into these, um, these traps where you think you kind of know, and you have to go back to the basics and you have to go back to that training. And, and that's essentially what we've done. We've gone through and we've redone all of our spreadsheets and there's so much to that in this business. And I mean, that can make or break a company. Yeah. I think it's interesting to what you, you mentioned before, because, uh, I always, it's almost this, you know, they talk about the story of the, um, uh, caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And if the caterpillar doesn't have enough resistance as it's transitioning into a butterfly, its wings don't develop the strength to actually fly. Like if you were to open the, the cocoon, um, it wouldn't be strong enough. And I feel like I've seen people who, especially when you're looking to buy into a franchise and you really don't know how much, how involved do you need to be? You know, are you just basically buying a business in a box and you just let it run? Right. Or are you running the business day to day? How much time does that take? Um, what's the reality of it? And, and you're, um, you know, so many people are in different situations in terms of how they want to interface with their business, but, I see that it's so critical that in this process of someone going from having a business concept to actually launching a business, there is sort of a personal journey that people go on 
to becoming uh, really responsible for the thing that they're birthing, right? It's, it's, it's easy in some ways to have something that you just purchased, but you don't become the person that is capable of maintaining and growing that uh, vehicle or that asset in the way that it needs to be because you don't actually know how it works. And I often say you can't, um, you can't manage what you don't understand. And a lot of times I think people don't understand their businesses enough to make them thrive, even if they have a, a great concept and they have a great menu and they have all these things going for them, but they don't really understand the components that make it work. And so for that reason, they can't adapt to the natural forces of the market or the environment or weather. And, and I think even as we're recording this, this is such a unique time that we're in that I'd love to speak about more in a moment, but it's, I think it's important. And, and also just to, as a credit to you, me knowing you and having worked with you, you are someone who's very detail oriented. And I think just has a natural disposition to want to understand, to want to learn. Cause I think a lot of times people don't want to know it's they, they prefer to be blind to it because it might overwhelm them. And this is even for people who are entrepreneurs and have been for a while. I even find that like around their finances, they don't want to look at their profit and loss statements or they don't even do them because it's a very sobering reality. And that's uh, something that we have to do in order to steer our business in the right direction. And so I think um, you've definitely always been someone that I've observed uh, has the qualities of someone who's going to be successful because you're so inspired and interested in the details of how things work and why they work and wanting to adjust those things just naturally from what I observe is who you are. Yeah. Thank you. Now it's, it's flattering to hear that. I think, you know, my dad, um, he's no longer around, but I'd have to, you know, pay tribute to him. He, he, um, was like a master craftsman when it came to, you know, building, um, you know, projects that involved wood and restoring cars. And he had this attention to detail like no other. And, you know, I'd be out in the garage helping him or holding something. And it's probably through osmosis. I picked up all this, but, um, but he had this ability just to kind of, um, you know, if he had to, had to build something and he didn't have a tool, he'd actually build the tool to make something. So that was something that I grew up around. And I think I've, I've taken, um, taken from him and, really trying to probably just apply it. And I don't know, I do like building things and understanding how things work. And that's probably what you're picking up on. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I also in, in, you know, in the near future, want to talk about the uniqueness of what virtue really, I would say pioneered to my knowledge. Um, But before we do that, was there anything else that you felt called? I know we were kind of talking about the process. What else uh, kind of stood out to you, if anything, that you learned in the development process or any hiccups that came up in particular in your situation that might um, be some kind of guideposts for other people to look out for as they're developing their businesses? Yeah, I think the biggest one for us is, um, you know, we went into a building that was really a, a bare shell or you know, I, I forget what they refer to it as vanilla shell or something to that effect. Right. It was yeah. basically mm-hmm. concrete and plywood on the walls. And, and we literally transformed the space into, into virtue. And the cost of doing that was, you know, it, it was really pretty steep. And even our builder, our builder is someone who, um, you know, specializes in quick service or quick serve restaurants rather. And, 
and he even said, you know, if you're going to do this again, call me. <laughs> He's like, we know kind of places that are that are sitting idle that we can transform for you for a lot less than actually going in and, and building it from scratch. Right. And so that was one thing I took away. Um, maybe not so much, you know, related to, um, you know, to the work that you and I did. I think looking back on it, I think the investment was wise though. And I even recall, you know, chatting with you about it. And when you, when you choose one place over another, you know, we chose foot traffic and, and I'm glad we did. Um, so many people compliment us on our location. And I think as we grow, it's only going to be, you know, that much better. So. Yeah. I think it's important actually to emphasize this point because, uh, in so many areas of business development, there's going to be investments that we make that are either cheap in front, but expensive in the long run or expensive up front, but make us more money in the long run. And obviously everybody's resources are different and the capacity that people have to make decisions that are going to support them kind of either short-term or long-term have to be considered. But, you know, even thinking about something like cold pressing, for example, the machinery compared to a centrifugal juicer is much more expensive, but the upside that you get is you're going to get higher yields on your produce, which we all know is one of the kind of major categories of expense when it comes to running this kind of business. So I think I always, 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 always suggest that if someone is choosing between a location that is more ideal, but may cost them more upfront in the build out and they can afford to make the investment, it will pay itself back by leaps and bounds in the future because you can't, you know, nothing uh, makes up for a bad location versus a good location. So I think ultimately, um, like you said, it was probably the wise thing to do, even though it was not the most uh, convenient financially in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's things like that. I mean, there's so many examples that I could bring up. I mean, you know, you think that you go into something like this with some knowledge and understanding, but really, you know, I think through our conversations, you know, I think you, you'd provide a nice counterpoint and, and then we'd have these discussions and, you know, try to understand, you know, what's the best way to go. And, and, and I think that was really valuable to me. I enjoy hearing both sides and, and trying to make a decision and, and, um, and so I think it can be anything from, you know, where are you going to put your POS? And originally my idea was to put it up front and your idea was to put it towards the back. And, and, you know, I think for good reason, I'm so glad we put it back there because we do get lines that, you know, to the door and if it was up front, <laughs> it, it might not work so well. So, you it's know, there's that. This is one of the conversations that comes up a lot with our clients. We're always having this debate about where to put the POS machine. And, right. and yeah, and, and I, I often tell them, I'm like, come back to me six months after you do it and you'll be happy that you did it this way because you start to really understand more the psychology of, of customer flow and also how important it is, I find, for people to walk through your space to really invite them in, right, where they can have more of a relationship um, to the environment. It's it's also why, you know, some people don't know this, but even in grocery stores, for example, they place uh, kind of high commodity items like water, usually in places that are very inconvenient, where you have to walk through the entire store. Why? Because more likely at that point, you have traversed the store and seen other things that you might want to purchase. And so it increases the likelihood that you'll spend more money as opposed to putting everything that you want in the place that's most convenient, which in some ways seems counterintuitive. 
right? It seems like, oh, well, this is the most immediate thing. Let's make it convenient for the customers to do it. But there's other things at play that sometimes people have to look at when it comes to just the overall design of, of a space. Yeah, it's it's like human behavior. It's it's pretty deep, you know, the psychological aspect of it. Um, mm -hmm. It's a simple concept, right? You know, you're you're inviting customers in, you know, to have juice, and you know, you wouldn't think about that sort of planning, but it's it's a critical business step. That's right. So, kind of fast forward again, and and one conversation I know that was a big decision for you that we talked about early on is that you know cold pressing and not just cold pressing but like i said before to my knowledge your company was really the first maybe in the nation to cold press to order right and it was just around the time that good nature had uh, launched or they were about to launch their x1 mini which is a countertop cold press for anybody who's not familiar with it uh, and this kind of paved the way to creating the opportunity to cold press to order. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that, you know, your process of making the decision to do it, uh, even though there wasn't really a lot of um, uh, kind of, you know, businesses that you could reflect on the success and kind of the operations of that. And also, how's it going with that at this moment? Um, I'd love to hear you share a bit more about that. Yeah, so this was, um, this was a really interesting kind of turning point for us, I think even maybe for yourself, because nobody had ever ventured down this path and you know you had introduced me to to good nature and i was able to to um to talk with charlie there at good nature and and i always wanted to do cold press i i had a pretty good sense that was you know i almost i mean i'd say probably 100 percent unless the cost was so prohibitive prohibitive that it didn't make sense but um but i really wanted to to have a cold press type juice bar and, and be different. And so I think just in the discussions I had um, with good nature, the opportunity to consider this, this concept where someone could come in and get a cold press juice made to order that's never been done before was really kind of intriguing to me. And I think it goes back to that whole thought of, of just being different and, and building a brand that, is unlike you know every other brand and mm -hmm. gives us a chance to kind of stand out and and i know just in in working with you and learning from you you know having that brand differential is really valuable it's something that yeah. you can kind of hang your hat on and 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 so we 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 thought it through uh, i flew out to new york we did testing we did time testing um and you know, pretty much determined that that it was doable, and so we decided to to buy two of the X1 minis and put them into a configuration um, such that we could have a process flow that would allow for relatively quick juice that's made to order. Um, I know this is a this is a topic where we might differ. I know you're you're um, you're thinking about speed and and delivering quickly and we're actually trying to take this stance that you know we can we can slow down and so kind of our theme and um you know even even our wi-fi passcode is stay a while so we're trying to calm people down right. and slow yeah. things down and so that's been kind of interesting to play through 
Yeah, I think that it, a lot of times it depends too on the environments that you're in, right? Like as a business, you're going to have kind of a, a combination of influencing cultural habits and human habits and also supporting them, right? And so if you're in the middle of New York and you've got a juice bar that's 400 square feet and you're like, there's just certain kind of physical parameters that don't allow you to do that. And just the lifestyle of speed of people, which people move. Um, whereas I think for you guys and the way your business is, because you also have a grab and go and you guys are also prepping juices ahead of time, you kind of give people the option, right? So it's not that you're going to force them to slow down, but it might be something that you encourage, which I think is also a good thing for business owners to understand that in even developing a menu, for example, or whatever your goal is as a company, understand where you have certain things that are principally true for you that you won't compromise on and then other things that are values to you. So for me, it feels like slowing down is a value as opposed to a principle, right? Like you allow people to come in and out quickly if they need to, you're not going to force them to stay, but as a value, you appreciate people slowing down. And so you can encourage it, you can support it, and then you can still, um, give people the option and the freedom to decide how they want to interface with your business. Yeah, exactly. That's how we've approached it. And, um, the response that, that we get is, is always positive. You know, people that come in that just say, you know, I love your space. It just makes me feel good in here. I don't feel pressured. You know, there's not a lot of impulse, you know, we don't have TV monitors, you know, that are flickering or changing displays. We've purposely, purposely done things to kind of just make more of a, a calmer, inviting atmosphere. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was, that was by design. And I think there's some more things we can do. I think there's some more branding work that we need to do. Um, okay. You know, really trying to get the customers to realize how unique virtue is, you know, within the world of juice bars. Right. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of that too, and to, to speak to it, I feel like, and, and this is me also speaking from experience, you know, having run juice bar businesses and, and, being in a place where I think it took me so long to really, and I mean, years and years and years to understand the value of branding. What does a brand really mean and how to articulate that and express that and market that in a way that customers get where they, where the values that you have as a business, aren't just something that you and your staff hold as a, as a nice little secret, but the customers actually, feel it translate into an experience where you're having to, to have conversations. Like I, I love that little nuance around um, having your Wi-Fi password say, stay a while, the kinds of music that you play, right. To encourage a certain pace in the environment, the kinds of furniture that you have, there's all of these things that are going to create an experience that your customers will have, whether it's at the forefront of their mind and they're conscious of it or not. The point is, is, you know, are, as you, you as a business owner and as a company, are you clear about what that is? And are you making your best effort from every dimension possible to give them that experience? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the fun part of designing something like this. I mean, it's, it's really just um, a blank sheet that you can start, you know, start from scratch and, and build it the way you want it and, and the way you want to make it feel. Um, that's right. And so, yeah, it's yeah. that part of it's been fun. I think that's still evolving. I think we can still do more to really enforce and enhance kind of the brand that we're building. 
um, you know, I think it's all about trust. I think just, just having virtue as our, as our business name, you know, just essentially the definition being the behaviors, you know, that show high moral standards. We want that to kind of exude through everything we do. Right. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I love that. And I also love just knowing uh, that there are such high integrity businesses that are out there. Cause I think that's a big thing with people's health and food is, is, you know, it's such a sensitive and sacred thing, what you put into your body. And it, for me, it feels paramount that consumers and all of us as individuals can really trust the companies that we're purchasing from because of how vital it is. You know, sometimes it is literally a matter of life and death. And um, yeah, I'm glad that your company exists as, as a company that's, you know, doing what you're doing and having such a high moral standard and offering people the opportunity to get drinks that are cold pressed to order, which is going to be the highest quality juice that you can get. And so um, to dive more deeply into that topic, how do you feel like that's going? Are customers, are a lot of customers taking advantage of that or mostly are a lot of them buying from the grab and go? What's been your experience on, on customer buying habits when offering this, this uh, cold press to order? Yeah. So from the start, um, you know, I think, in any venture, you've got that, you know, trepidation to just get it going. And what we put the emphasis on to start was the made to order. And we really didn't do any bottling for probably, gosh, the first two or three weeks. And we just wanted to get kind of the, you know, the staff up to speed and, and using the X1 minis. And, and, you know, at that point, once they became proficient, then we started kind of venturing down the path of bottling. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a whole nother area in itself. And, right. and I think, um, I think what we found and, you know, when we look at the data, there was a crossover point to which customers started to trust us and understand like what we're actually bottling is identical to the same juice that they'd be buying for from us. Um, right. but they just didn't have, you know, if they were on the go and they just wanted to grab it and go, they could. And so, um, so I think that was kind of cool to see that transition. And I think it's it's been working well. Um, you know, the X1 minis, they perform, they perform really well. Um, we put them through our, we put them through the paces. You know, we're doing single presses one after the next. And frankly, I don't know how, you know, what the design criteria was for the minis, um, but we're probably, you know, using them Maybe in a way they weren't designed. I don't know, but you know, do you mean in terms of just like uh, intensity of use that you're using the them a lot? Is that what you mean? Just single press right. after single press after single press, and and right. so um, you know, I think as we've gotten busier, the one thing that we've decided to do is invest in the is the X1, and what that's allowed us to do is take the pressure off the front of house and allow us to do more bottling and back. And it's really been great to, to kind of balance that out. Um, you know, we were, we were doing it, we were getting by, but you have to really pick and choose the times when you're bottling. And we just mm -hmm. couldn't do it in, you know, in a volume sort of way um, right. as you start getting busier. So, you know, I think having the X1 is giving us total flexibility now. Um, and so, you know, 
we're we're glad that we have it and we're really we're really putting it to use. I think that a lot of times too, even in business development, these are kind of good problems to have, right? As long as you and I know that the way your kitchen was designed, you kind of had a space already designated that in the event that you did want to upgrade and put a larger X1 in there that you had the space for it. Um, and a, sometimes it's it can be a difficult decision for people up front on do they buy a large X1 because you don't know what your volume of business is going to be. And for you guys, I honestly think that it kind of evolved ideally because one, having the smaller X1 minis up front just for your branding and the customer experience for them to be able to build that trust and not having some kind of mysterious, which I think a lot of juice bars have, right? You're like, what's going on back there? And you just don't know, right? You have no idea as a consumer and you just want to trust. But I think you guys were able to build a lot of that trust through making the juices to order, like you said, bottling things. They know where it's coming from and that it's fresh and that you guys are a high integrity business. And then once you got to the point where you just realized your sales and your demand were bringing you to a place where you had to grow it and you had to invest in more equipment. And, you know, who knows one day that might look like a commissary kitchen or another location. It's just the natural progression of, of reaching your, your kind of physical restraints and limits um, than to be able to make the investment uh, in the larger X1. Uh, so how are things going now? I know it's kind of an interesting time, but I, you know, I'd love to, to learn a little bit more about like, you know, how many customers are you doing a day or how many bottles are you selling a day? What is, what does the volume of your business look like at this moment? Yeah, I, um, be happy to share that with you. I can just give you, um, just a, one more comment on kind of the planning behind, you know, having an X1, you know, Charlie at good nature was, was great. Everything that he shared with us, you know, was very much towards our growth and profitability and, you know, in talking with him and thinking through, you know, this process, it's something that, that they had never experienced before either. You know, I think right. from what you're saying and from what Charlie is saying at good nature that nobody's ever done a, a, you know, made to order cold press juice concept. And, and so, you know, in just thinking it through having that, that space allowance, um, it was, it was by design and we knew, um, and just in talking with good nature, that uh, as we grew, likely we would be needing that. So um, right. I think it was all about just kind of having that, that you know, forethought that we could need it and then plan around it. And that's another thing I think that's so important in, in you know, developing a concept is, is really trying to think about all these ideas and what could happen or what, you know, what could you need? Um, mm -hmm. And so I always thought that's worked well. Yeah, I feel like that's that's the journey of the entrepreneur, right? It's like you have to you have to know the wave is coming before you start paddling. That's always it, right? You have to know where your market's going before you open your business. Otherwise, you're you're behind, right? If you wait until it's at peak demand, you're late. And so, I think everything as a principle is that is having the foresight to see where things are going and planning accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and as far as the business, um, you know, we're in really tough times. Um, I think I was just looking at the numbers. We're fortunate overall. Um, you know, it looks like we'll be down about 15%, which, I mean, I say that number and it makes me kind of feel good considering what what's going on out there. It's, you know, yeah. seeing some other places that are having really tough times, I feel for them. 
Um, but I think, and I think what we're doing right now is really trying to exude who we are and what we stand for and how we can help. And I think those that have been, you know, either, you know, following the stay at home orders, um, you know, you start getting into this pattern where, you know, you're probably snacking more, you're maybe stressed out and, and people are just maybe consuming more calories than they need to and probably taking on some weight. And I mean, we've never seen so many um, cleanse, juice cleanse orders than we've had in the last few months. And so, you know, we might not have as much foot traffic, but the orders, basically what I'm trying to explain to the team is that, you know, if, if we're not seeing the single order purchases that, that we used to see, um, and our, and our sales are going to be down by, let's say, you know, let's say we would normally have, um, a hundred sales and we only have 30, then there's, there's gotta be a way that we need to triple the business. And so how do we triple the business with a third of the people? And so you start building these ideas and plans and you start working through these concepts. And ultimately that's kind of our goal to maintain the flow, keep the doors open is to, you know, essentially sell more to each person that does come in. And so, um, you know, it's easier said than done. Um, yeah, we, we had, um, we made it through, through March, the tail end of March, um, without a problem. April was fine. And then May was really tough. Um, but you know, here we are talking and today, today was, you know, the best day that we've had in, in quite a while, like maybe in months, like we had a really good day today. Well, that's good to hear. I think that, um, it's, it's really, you know, and for people who are listening to this at different times, uh, cause I know that this podcast will exist probably for a while, but you know, right now, present day, we're going through this pandemic and a lot of retail businesses are having to pivot. Some of them are shut down. Um, and I think it's really interesting to see how one, we know people will always need to eat and to consume beverages, but how they do that and what businesses are really being prioritized for the consumption of food and beverages. And have you found that just in your own strategy, have you guys taken on, you know, new marketing practices, you know, the 30 customers, for example, that you might have a day at this point, where are they coming from? Is it existing customers or have you been able to expose yourself to a new market uh, of people who are kind of used to ordering from home? What has been your, your approach to that? Yeah. So, yeah, I think this is where we've been really, um, quick to pivot and and i think um being nimble has been so important for us and you know when the grocery stores started to run out of of fruits and vegetables we saw a need there that we were able to fill just using our organic you know produce distributor and so we went to them and we asked them you know to see what we can do as far as you know building some produce boxes and, right. you know, we became kind of a miniature, you know, produce market. Um, but then quickly, like really quickly, I think we kind of had the edge for the first two weeks. And then, you know, so many other restaurants were doing the same thing. And, and that sort of right. fall off pretty quickly. 
Um, so that was a pivot that we really, you know, we really tried to play up and that got us through a couple of weeks. And then the next pivot for us was, was this notion of helping the first responders. Um, we were really, um, set to start delivering to a big hospital. We had gone through and, you know, gotten contracts to be able to deliver essentially meals. This was before COVID hit. And we were building essentially these, um, you know, staff meal boxes that were really healthy. You know, it was a salad, a juice, it was a no-bake bar and just a great, either a great breakfast or lunch. And right when we were ready to sign off on this on this contract is when COVID hit. And so um, I called the hospital. I said, you know, we're, we're here for you. You know, we've got things designed for you and we can be here 24 seven as an overflow kitchen and they said, we're sorry, we can't order um, from the outside like we've been doing. And so that was a mandate that came down. And so that was a tough blow for us because we thought we were so prime and that was going to be the ace in the hole. But unfortunately, we had to repivot. And um, what we did was we we had an opportunity to to um, to, to get some funding from you know, there's these, the first responders have these um, associations and the associations have funding. And we thought if we can get some funding from them, we can actually start donating juice. And we got some really good coverage on that. And we were able to start donating juice. And ultimately we got back into the hospital, but it was by way of donation. Um, It was, it was pretty wild how we ended up you know, turning that around, but we were getting funding from other sources to make it happen. And so that really covered us all through April. And um, we had a good April, but then May hit and then we're scrambling. And so to your point, we've really had to pivot and pivot multiple times. And so really the focus on May was how do we start delivering? And what could we do in six packs and four packs and you know, take that idea of multiplication and start playing it out. Um, I think we were too late for May and it just, it was just too much to bear. Um, But, you know, here we are and, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a new day, you know, we're launching new products. Um, Our marketing game has improved dramatically and so much of that is so important. Yeah, I think that, you know, to another critical piece, which for me relates to the branding, because branding and marketing are kind of the two areas I find that brick and mortar and retail business owners feel like they have the luxury of overlooking because it doesn't feel like it's intrinsic to their business. You know, when you develop a business, you know, you need equipment, right? You can't create your product without a juicer. So that feels like it's more essential. And in some ways it is, but, uh, at a certain point, and especially in a time like this, I feel a lot of business owners start to realize how critical it is to have a strong connection to their audience so that when they do pivot, they already have a direct line of communication to let them know, hey, this is what we're doing now. Do you want to partake in this? As opposed to finding that, you know, that hundred customers that walked into your store, you have no way of contacting them at this point. Um, so it's, it's always wise for people to uh, understand the importance of marketing from that standpoint, but also know that in times that are even good, they can be better if you have that direct line of communication. 
And the other thing that I think is might be a, a good piece of, of insight that I always think about when it comes to business development in relationship to marketing is understanding the, the cultural temperament at this moment is really around health, but people sometimes don't associate the products that people serve at juice bars with what they are trying to accomplish now. And so sometimes it's not a matter of even developing new products. It's a matter of contextualizing the menu that you have and the services that you have to build the narrative that will support their understanding of why they need it. So if it's really understanding that, you know, your immunity, there's ways to build it. There are products and juices and, you know, smoothies that you can consume to support immunity, have that conversation around the present moment narrative, because we know that that's an important thing in this moment for everyone. And how do you package and create programs for people that support their immunity so that then they become more inclined to invest in that, as opposed to just thinking that a juice is nice to have and it's good for my health and I'm going to maintain it. But when it becomes essential, right, when food actually does become medicine, as you know, that famous Hippocrates quote says, really let food be that medicine. When people see it that way, it's critical and it's essential and people won't overlook it. And sometimes it does take a little bit of work and a little bit of marketing and a lot of conversation for people to make that connection so they can invest in, in the service that you're providing. Yeah, I think it's it's so valuable, so true. I think the education um, in in that that line of sight that you talk about through marketing is so critical. Um, you know, I studied marketing. I've got a degree in it, and you know, I feel like I'm I'm catching up every day, trying to figure out you know today's approach to marketing. And it's right. it's not that the concept has changed; it's just the way we go about it and. You know, where we used to have, you know, minutes of exposure of something, we have like less than a second with a swipe and it's gone. And, you know, how do you stop that scroll and, and get someone's attention? And, and again, we're looking at it a little bit differently. We're taking different approaches, you know, we're just trying to, to approach things from different ways. And I think if you show up differently, I think that's where the attention is gained. Um, yes. You know, I just... Always. Yeah, you just can't you can't be like everyone else, and and I think I think that's where we're going, um, probably more so than ever is is how we you know how how we're found, um, and how people start to relate to us and see us you know differently. But that's yeah, where I, really... I think it gets fun, but it's also it's also challenging. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I really feel like the companies that are able to tread water at this time and the comp companies that launch uh, kind of in, in, in the second phase of this whole pandemic dissolving are going to do really well because one, you're going to discover channels and things that you, it's kind of like a business's immune system, right? It's like you're being challenged right now. And if your immune system can weather the storm, you will still have the faculties that you gain during this period of time, right? The new sales channels, the new customer relationships, the new marketing strategies, those will all be things that you can utilize. But as a byproduct of this present moment, you've been forced to cultivate those things. And then when everybody goes back and, you know, to whatever degree, less or more into walking into retail stores and buying juice, um, you'll still have that as a, as a viable option. Uh, so I think that um, there's, 
you know, on the horizon, things are going to be really positive. It's just a matter of, of treading water long enough at this moment to, to overcome the present moment challenges. Uh, so yeah, it's survival. On, I want, yeah, definitely yeah, survival. Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, so kind of to talk about a few other things, I know you, you know, you and I've had a conversation prior to recording this podcast about something pretty exciting that you've been working on that I'd love for you to share with our audience. Uh, and yeah, maybe I'll, I won't say too much cause I'd like to, to have you share it, but, um, in essence, it's something that you realized a lot of kind of small or, uh, food service businesses were challenged by, which inspired you to expand, or I should say, kind of create a new, uh, business altogether that is somewhat related to what you do. Um, but yeah, can you tell us a little bit about virtue direct and what the inspiration was there and, and what it is that you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to. So we, um, we've, we've realized that, you know, as a small business, um, we really only have this one location and, you know, just through our current providers, our current distributors, um, looking at all of our food costs and really trying to do the right thing. Um, you know, from a produce point of view, we're, we're fully organic and, you know, we, we really try to put an emphasis on that through, throughout all that we do. And, and we were realizing that our food costs were higher than they really should be to be within the ratios that, that you might suggest, or that might be, you know, relevant for the industry. And as much as I tried to negotiate, I found it really difficult to bring those costs down. And so I started thinking that maybe this whole distribution network, um, you know, we're kind of like getting whipped at the end of this, at the end of the tail here. And, you know, we're taking a brunt of, of probably the highest cost possible being a small uh, independent who's buying in small volume and buying a lot, you know, repeatedly, um, not a lot, but in volume, um, a small amount more often. And we started thinking, gosh, there's got to be another way. And so I started wondering if, you know, we could band together a number of restaurants and try to do some group buying, you know, to try to bring that cost down. And I really didn't get too far there, but, you know, throughout this, I started wondering, you know, do I have contacts and do I have relationships? And, and it was just by happenstance. Like I was visiting a friend in the area, um, actually, a college uh, fraternity brother. And we just, you know, we're just hanging out and chatting and we we're talking about other, you know, friends of ours, other fraternity brothers. And, and, you know, my friend Rich's name came up and I started learning about what he was doing in the nut industry, uh, pri primarily around almonds and almond processing and, and the volume he was doing. Um, it was really impressive. And, and so just that one, that one discussion led to, you know, me connecting with Rich and, and seeing his operation and what he's doing is really, it was really eye-opening to me. It really opened my eyes to what, what could be possible from a larger production point of view. And so, um, you know, I think it probably took maybe six or nine months. And, and throughout that time, he was kind of understanding what we were doing and what we were up to. And, and um, I was learning more about, you know, his operation and, and he was starting to think about bringing in some superfoods and really starting to offer other types of products, you know, mostly dry goods. And it was just like this one day when we were just, you know, we had just come together and, 
And um, it was just this kind of moment where he said, you know what? He's like, with what you're doing, you know, maybe we ought to strike up some sort of a partnership and approach this together because he's like, I really think that, you know, for businesses like yourself, you know, we can create a movement here to help others. And, you know, knowing what, what we were going through, I mean, it was music to my ears. Um, mm. And so, you know, for about, gosh, it's all come together pretty quickly, but through his connections and through, through, you know, the ability that I, that I've, that I've got to create, to create and build, we've created this company called Virtue Direct. And essentially Virtue Direct is really designed um, to be, you know, one affordable and then two really to go direct. I mean, to essentially avoid a middleman to help bring down costs for the small, small restaurants and cafes and juice bars and, and, um, you know, three, just make, you know, just fresh products. And it was very, very simple approach to, to those three pillars, um, affordable, fresh and direct. And so we built, um, we built virtue direct. Uh, we happen to be in the soft launch phase. We're going to be launching, um, within a few days and essentially it's, it's all the products. I mean, we're, we're, we're moving all of our buying over to virtue direct right now or anything that could be from, you know, uh, a whole variety of nuts and seeds and nut butters and, and different powders that you might use to, um, to specialty products and spices and sweeteners and, and this whole, you know, gamut of products that work well for our industry. And so it's exciting. It's really exciting. And I think, you know, our whole goal is to help, to help these companies just improve their bottom line and, and it can't, can't be happening at a better, better time than right now. Yeah, definitely. So what's the, what's the web domain if people want to visit the website and, and learn more? Yeah, sure. So the website is virtue-direct.com. So virtue-direct.com. Um, we've kept all of the same virtue branding that we started with, uh, with virtue juice. And really it's kind of this, um, extension of, of what we've created on the juice side. And, you know, the goal is really to provide just high quality products, um, into food service, but it's also open to the public. So we'll have a retail sector as well. Um, but really our focus is to help, um, is to help small and medium-sized businesses. Right. And so what's your distribution network look like? Are you guys shipping throughout the U.S.? Uh, what is that? What's the territory you guys are taking care of? Yeah, so that is, um, that's something that we're working through right now. We've got um, orders that are currently shipping into the greater Northern California area. Um, however, we're starting Southern California up next week. And we look to be shipping kind of within the entire West coast of, you know, of the States here. So I think to start, it's going to be California, uh, Northern and Southern, and then we'll expand to Oregon, Washington, and then go from there. Um, right. But yeah, it's, okay. uh, so for the, yeah, go ahead. For the audience, uh, you guys can just check in with the website and see, you know, where the distribution network is at the time that you're listening to the podcast to see as, you know, things expand, if it opens up in your area and you guys want to take advantage of, of some of the products and, and, and some of the savings that you guys might have, uh, definitely check out the website. Um, 
Great. Anything else that you you feel like is uh, important to mention about the service you guys are offering at Virtue Direct? And and other thing too, I want to mention to the audience, just if you guys don't have experience, because I know sometimes um, it's hard to understand how important it is, you know, two major costs in your business, your labor and your product costs. So even saving 5% on purchasing something that you're going to purchase, you know, hundreds of pounds of throughout the year can lead to significant savings in your bottom line. So I know for me, this is something I often uh, really emphasize with our clients is learning how to negotiate with vendors, constantly seeking better pricing for your products, because, you know, in the short term and in the long term, it will mean a lot to your bottom line. Yeah, so true. And that's, that's really this, um, you know, the mission that we've got, it's, I mean, we're looking at it as a movement. And I think there's no better time than the present to, to launch something like this. And, you know, I think one thing that I'd love to be able to offer to, you know, your clients, uh, future clients is, um, you know, I can offer a discount code, you know, we can even name it, just start a juice bar and, um, I can get that set up and, you know, welcome to pass that along to you so that, you know, your clients can go in and start seeing additional savings right off the bat. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you for doing that. That's amazing. Uh, so as we wrap things up here, a question that I'm always curious about, cause I feel like it's really important for people to, to connect with, you know, why they're doing what they're doing and, and, and what the fruits of their labor really are. So in your instance, I'm curious of, uh, you know, what have been the most fulfilling moments for you thus far running this business? Gosh, here's, um, you know, I think the, the first one was, I, I mean, I love being there in the juice bar. I'm at, I think just being there talking to the customers, you know, you learn so much just sharing kind of our approach is always kind of interesting and novel for them. Um, but I, I think first and foremost is getting the customer to realize, you know, how our juice tastes compared to a traditional um, centrifugal juice. And, and I kind of want the customers to understand that before they actually take their first sip. And, you know, it's not that I'm leading them to, <laughs> it's not that I'm leading them, but but what I want them to kind of really think about is just the consistency of, you know, a cold pressed juice and, and especially it coming off of the good nature juicers. I mean, it, I think it's second to none. It's great. And just yeah. to see the smile on their face, I think to answer your question, the first thing would be just kind of experiencing that moment where they realize and they say, gosh, this is really good. <laughs> Um, and then they just come back, you know, I think hooking customers and bringing them back is, is really the goal. And I love doing that. I think it's fun, but, but secondly, you know, sitting down with them and I think just learning about their lives and, and we've, we've got one, one customer who I didn't realize it. I hadn't met him on prior occasions, but he had been coming in like every other day and you know, he's probably, he's probably in his fifties. And when I had met him, he said, he said, you know, he's like, I've been coming here every other day and I've been working out every other day. And he says, I want you to know for 30 years, I've been trying to get under 200 pounds. And so I asked him, I said, you know, how's that going? And, 
And he said, well, today is the day. He's like, after today, I will be under 200 pounds. And, you know, I had this feeling like, you know, you just get chills. And when you start to realize that you potentially could be helping people, you know, change their lives and, and make a difference. And I think that was when I realized that, that we really had something and it was just more than a juice bar. And I think ever since that moment, I've, I've been really looking and listening um, for more of those opportunities and experiences and we keep finding them. And so, you know, I think anyone that, that decides to go into this, you know, I think you have to have that kind of that, you know, knowing in advance that you could be presented with these situations and there are situations also that are, you know, really eye-opening. You know, you've got someone who's maybe terminal and you're being asked to help, you know, prepare juice or prepare, you know, meals for someone who, you know, may not make it. And it's like, you know, there's an honor there and there's a lot of respect there. It's really deep. Um, yes. But I mean, yeah, you I might that. have had similar experiences, but um yeah. But yeah, it's, those are the those are the real experiences that stand out. Um, you know, we we I think if we can get through this, I think we'll be able to get through anything. Frankly, it's it's really a crazy time. Um, you know, Northern California was plagued last year with with huge forest fires. We had these power outages that were happening, and um, you know, energy spikes and. You know, we had refrigerators <laughs> going down. It was it was really pretty crazy. But I don't know. I think you just you just build this backbone and you just learn how to adapt. And and I think you know that whole saying. And I might not get it right, but I guess whatever. What is it? Doesn't break you, makes you stronger. Yeah, and I think in in you know these all become different chapters in our story, right? Just building that resilience and and making it through this time. Um, but to kind of circle back at what you were sharing, it's so important to me that people connect to their why and what fulfills them and to, to like you said, to seek it out because that inspiration and knowing that you are not theoretically, but quite tangibly changing people's lives or you are being, uh, offered the opportunity to support someone who is in a life or death situation, um, which I've experienced as well. And, and, and there are no words for it. It's beyond humbling, right? It's, and it's beyond, uh, um, you know, it's something that you become very sensitive to the magnitude and the significance of that kind of responsibility. And, and not to say that I'm ultimately responsible for someone's decisions that they make or their health, but it feels like a profound honor that someone trusts you as a company enough to walk in and say, this is the decision I'm making and I'm giving you the opportunity to help me by serving me your product so that I can, uh, you know, make my best effort to be healthy in the way that I feel is right for me. And so, um, yeah, I know it and it's profound and I, I want everyone in the audience to, to connect to their why and what's inspiring them if they have a business to remember that. And if they are thinking about starting one, to realize that there are people in your environment that lives will very likely change just from you opening and giving people the opportunity and exposing them to something that they may not have been exposed to before. Yeah, I think it's, um, 
I think it happens more often than I expected. And I think, um, you know, having, um, I have been certified as a, as a functional, you know, medicine health coach and having that background has helped, even though that's at the very, you know, rudimentary basic level, it's helped, but I'm finding that we just need to do more education to our staff to help answer, you know, variety of health questions that come up and, you know, we can't be coming across as doctors or nurses or, or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, practitioners, we don't certainly have that certification, but, but, you know, having some guidance and having some understanding, I think it's really important. And so, um, I would encourage anyone who's thinking about going down this path to have that, um, sort of kind of behind them or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take much, but I think it's helpful. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for taking this time. It's always a pleasure to speak to you and and learn more about how things are progressing. And I just, you know, love your business. And I've definitely told you before that you've always been one of our favorite people to work with because I appreciate your approach. And, and so, yeah, uh, everyone out there, hope you guys are happy. Hope you're healthy. And thanks again, Tom. We'll see you guys at the next episode. Thanks, Andrew. Yep, really appreciate it. You got it. Have a good day.